Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Yucca. And today we're talking about being a solitary practitioner of atheopaganism or non-theist naturalistic paganism. Right. And so I think a, a really good place to start here is to start with, well, what does it mean to be solitary? Right, because that's kind of a moving target, right? I mean, back in 1985, there were practitioners who literally only got information from books and had no connection with anybody else who was practicing. They were just kind of out there on their own. And there are still people that are out there on their own, but at least they have the option of the internet to connect with people of like mind. The, I like, oh, the structure ahead. of, in, in many pagan groups, especially Wiccan groups, the coven had a really important role. And that now, you know, I wasn't around to remember this, but my understanding was that that was kind of the default assumption that people would be part of a coven or a group. And then yeah, that's that's how I remember it was mm -hmm. that there was an assumption that you would gather a, a group of people who would be a ritual circle of some kind, whether it was organized as a Wiccan coven with, you know, the high priestess and high priest and this sort of teaching model, mm -hmm. which is very common in sort of traditions, traditional British witchcraft, Gardnerian witchcraft and Wicca generally. Or it was a more egalitarian model where the circle or the coven was an equal group of people who weren't there to be teaching people who would then calve off to create their own circles. They were just there to do rituals with one another. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that I've been involved with for 32 years with the Dark Sun Circle. We're just deeply connected family now who do rituals together. and. Uh, you know, we have no intention of hiving off people or teaching them to be priests or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a different model. But right. I think that the point is that it's kind of a spectrum, right? You've got people that are really super alone and they're the only people they know that do this kind of practice at all. And then you've got people on the other end who are fully engaged in social uh ritualizing and they don't do stuff on their own they only do things with groups of people because that's what works for them right and there's another element now that's very different than in the 80s or the 90s is that we've got this internet thing yeah. where and media is very very different now i mean there's things like this like podcasts and there's social media groups and reddit and facebook and discord and youtube channels and all of that stuff that that just didn't exist and that really changes the ways that people can interact and i think that changes the way that we we look at these terms solitary and i guess on the what would be the other side of the spectrum Communitarian, communal, community-oriented, something yeah. with a calm in it. Yeah, but 
but I think I really value what you've been saying about it being a spectrum because it it's not just like a you, you know you're on your own or you're in a group that it's there's a whole range of how people can interact and how they see their practices and and that's changing over time as what's going on in the world changes too mm -hmm. right a lot of people mm -hmm. were doing a lot on their own during the shutdowns right right, right. um and yet many people were doing more with others that's when we saw a lot of growth in the Ethiopian community was during the time where people were searching for that connection and it, we figured out how to do stuff online that we would have never considered before right yeah exactly the other thing that the internet has done is it has caused an explosion of ways to do things mm -hmm. what i remember from the late 80s and early 90s was well there's a way to do things you draw a circle and then you call the quarters and elements and then you call the gods and then you do a working and then you unravel all the things that you just did and you know that kind of wiccan structure was the structure mm -hmm. and um there was not very much there was a lot less understanding of the nature of ritual and the the subtle skills associated with ritual generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at early neo-paganism, you're looking mostly at kind of white middle class college educated people at that time. And they had no idea of how to conduct rituals. They were just figuring it out and using the map that was presented to them. With 40 years of additional ritual experience now, we're well on into there being people, a lot of people, that have a lot of experience with creating ritual states and altering their state of consciousness through ritual activity. And so there are a lot of different ways to do it. And now that we have the internet that can disperse that information, people are informed by a wide range of different things. It's not just Scott Cunningham's, you know, solo practitioner's guide to Wicca. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and a much broader range of people involved as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, well, this had something to do with the community that I was in, which is part of the reason why I left it. But there were debates about, you know, whether gay people belonged in, in, these gender polarized rituals right where it was like every and, other like male female male female and like the structure yeah, of the circle and yeah that kind of stuff. stuff like stuff like that and and it was like i mean there was just this this severe lack of consciousness about a lot of stuff and as there has been better thinking about that at least in the circles that i move in obviously you know people have felt a lot more welcomed right? Gay people feel more welcome, neurodivergent people, disabled people, people of color, one hopes. And it's not that that is a solved problem by any means. Right. We it's always have way more to go. To, yeah. But at least in the circles that I'm moving in, in the pagan community, there is effort to move in a better direction. Mm -hmm. And that was not really true when I first engaged with there, there, and it wasn't that that people were bigots necessarily. They just were clueless. Right. They didn't think about this stuff. 
-hmm. So anyway, going back to solitary practitioners, what we have now is the situation where simply with access to the books that are out there, and let's be honest, the number of books has exploded since, you know, since the publication of, of Drawing Down the Moon and The Spiral Dance, which happened on the same day, Halloween of 1979, the number of available books on ritual and paganism has probably grown 10,000 fold at least. Mm-hmm. And what that means, and then there's the internet. Right? Yeah. So the 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 faucet for information is a fire hose. It's it's endless. Right. You will never collect all the information there is about these topics. So you have to pick and choose, and you pick and choose what works for you and what appeals to your values and your sensibilities. And so the solitary practitioner of today, I think, is much better equipped in some ways to build their practice and 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 get a lot of different choices mm-hmm. rather than just, oh, well, Scott says I should do this, so I'll do it. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I find that very encouraging. Me too. I think that's, yeah, I think that's lovely. And I think that there's more opportunity as well to to connect with community when it where it works for you and then step back into your own solitary practice and your own day-to-day daily practice sure sure because there i mean there are some people who are very very introverted and they may not want to engage with a group at all Mm-hmm. Or they may want to go to a Hallows event at Halloween, the height of the witchy time. And that's kind of their hit of communal experience for the year, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they go to a, a Beltane May Day thing and a Hallows Samhain thing. Or participate in online discussions. Right. Right. Maybe they're not doing ritual with other people, but they're discussing these ideas and, you know, sharing the cool images that they have of their garden with the morning dew on it or something like that. Yeah. Or their focus, their altar, Mm -hmm. or, you know, some piece of art that they created that's thematically along the lines of, of what their practice is about. Yeah. All of those things are very true. And I mean, obviously that's why we have the Ethiopian Facebook and discord so that people have opportunities for those kinds of discussions and that kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, and the the Zoom mixers that we have as well, so people can come together, see one another's faces, and be in a space together. Right. And just because you do some of that doesn't mean you're not still basically a solitary. If you if you aren't meeting with a group of people that you do rituals with on a somewhat regular basis, even if it's only every two, three months you're still basically in a solitary practice. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're talking about today is, you know, what's, what's useful for that kind of practice? What kind of approaches are helpful? What are some things to keep in mind? Right. So let's talk about, let's, we've got a lot of different directions to come at this. So let's talk about some of the possible topics. So I think a good one to start with is, daily practice 
Right. Yeah. And that's one that we definitely have talked a lot about here on the podcast, but it's always worth coming back to. Yeah. Because being a pagan, other than the fact that nobody can really define what that is, other than <laughs> that it means, you know, that we self-identify as pagans, but being a pagan is a it's a state of being. It's not a, you know, it's well, not like you, you pay for your membership card once a year and now you're a pagan, like belonging to the AAA. It's about what we do. And so having a daily practice or a weekly practice or a monthly lunar cycle practice, something a, that's a regular reg practice, a of regular, some kind. a regular practice where you are acknowledging the passage of time and what that means to you and and doing stuff in a ritualistic manner, which can be all kinds of things. I mean, it can be everything from kind of formally working in an altar focused sort of setting with tools and symbols and elements in order to bring yourself into a contemplative flow sense of, of mind in order to transform your consciousness. Or it can be planting seeds under the full moon in your garden because that's meaningful to you and it's how you would like things to grow, you know, and saying a little chant over them or implanting a, a figure or a symbol next to them to give them sort of a magical quality, right? The range of options is really broad, but you but you really need to have something. Right. And I, th I think a good place to start with that would be what really observing and thinking about what your goals are, right? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to achieve with your daily practice or your regular, whatever your practice is? So that's going to influence what particular practices you'd actually do based on what it is that you're trying to achieve. Right. And... I think it's fair to say that there aren't really any off-limits goals for a practice like that. If your goal is, I want to feel witchy. Awesome, right? That's awesome. That, yeah. that, that is totally cool. Great. I'm on board you know, there with you. Yeah, get, right? Get your cauldron out and light some candles and burn some incense and do the thing. Yeah. I like that a lot. I enjoy it. It's very pleasurable. And when I'm in that state, I find I can transform myself in ways that are really powerful. So go for it. That's great. If your focus is primarily around self-healing or around growth or around philosophical contemplation of big questions like, what am I doing here? And what's the universe for? And that kind of stuff. All of those Right. Totally lend themselves helping to helping you get practice. through get through a, a day that you know is is really busy, right? Yeah, assembling that, assembling yeah. skills that help you in times like that. Yeah. And practicing them. Right. And it can also, you know, the skills that help you be a better whatever your profession is, or a better student, or a better parent, or whatever it is that you're that matters to you. Mm -hmm. It's it's about you and your life, not you know. Does 
Mark and Yucca approve of it? Does it match right. their life? Right. Like, right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. you know, some God sitting on clouds in a heavenly throne or anything like that. Right. Cause remember everything that we're talking about is within the context of a naturalistic framework to paganism. So we don't believe in the supernatural stuff. Right. We that believe in the psychological stuff, but certainly. not in the supernatural stuff. Right. This is all, these are tools that we're choosing to use in order to live the kind of life that we want to live. Exactly. And each person decides for themselves what that life is. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not like if you make a different choice than someone else that you're a bad pagan or a good pagan. It's, right. That's right. just not part of the framework that we're operating with. Oh, this actually brings up a, an interesting and controversial topic, oh. which is hexing. Ah. The reason that I don't do that is because I don't want to be a vindictive person. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the kind of person that, that lusts for revenge. Right. And that's why I don't you know, wish harm on people. For one thing, my understanding as a naturalistic pagan is that my wishing harm on them isn't harming them at all. It's, and yeah, it's my, harming me, but it's not harming them. That's my experience too. The more I dwell on it, the more I just feel bad about the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, wishing harm on someone else. I think that when I am doing what we might call magic in in quotes is really changing how i feel mm -hmm. so if i am if i'm hexing or cursing or somebody i think i'm just doing that to me i don't think i'm doing it to them I'm doing it to me yeah so. that that is that is my experience of it the reason that i mention this is that you know we talk about how what motivates you to have a practice can be many different things. Well, within paganism generally, there are some people who just lust for power. You know, they want supernatural power and they like to play around with supernatural power that they believe they have. Mm -hmm. So it it helps them to feel powerful to do, you know, what they think of as hexes on other people, curses, right? Now, I don't believe that any of that stuff works. So I just want to keep in mind that everything that we say here is about a naturalistic, science-consistent, reality-based practice. So when you think about, you know, what are you in this for? If you just want to feel witchy and powerful, that's great. Don't hurt yourself with it. Yeah. You know, it, it's... It's a good rule for life. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we try teaching that to kids when they're really young. To, you know, that hurts. Don't do it. Yeah. So how about staying motivated? Yeah. That's a big one. That is a big one. Yeah. Because, and that, that dovetails with that whole issue of the critic voice, the internal voice that says, this is stupid. You're making an idiot out of yourself. You know, none of this has any effect, blah, 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 blah. Um, which can sap your motivation, you know, and there's another voice right behind it. That is the sort of defeatist voice, which is, Oh, what's the use? Right. Well, the use is it, 
it adds sparkle to your life, right? Mm -hmm. It adds color and magic to your experience of daily living to do these things. Right. That has intrinsic value. It's not, it's not extraneous and it's not self-indulgent. It helps you to be a happier, wiser, more together person. Right. And all of those things are important. Yeah. And you're building skills. Those things mm -hmm. that you're choosing to focus on every time you're doing them, you're, you're building your ability in that. Mm -hmm. And even yeah. if you miss, right? Oops. Oops. I forgot. I missed it yesterday. Oh, I missed it for a whole week. Right. You can always just do it again. Just right. start again. Right. right. We learn things through trial and error. And the things that are hardest to learn, we have the most errors while we're in the process of learning them, <laughs> right? Hard stuff to learn takes practice. Right. So if you want to have a daily practice and you've got it planned out, for one thing, make sure you're biting off as much as you can chew at a time. So maybe an hour of grand opera ritualizing every day is not the thing. You want to work towards that. Great. Right. Yeah. But if you're, if you're starting that from you've done nothing regularly and you're uh -huh. trying to build that into being a habit, it's a lot to, to jump into. It is. Right. So we're not saying if that's something that you want to do to not do it, but think about whether that's a realistic thing for you, where you're at right now. Right. Yeah. But if you if you construct a daily practice for yourself where simply lighting a candle or two or and maybe saying some words counts as your daily practice you can always add more stuff in later mm -hmm. right but the fact of doing it on a daily basis becomes really important right um and what will happen is your understanding of yourself as a practitioner will strengthen as you do that. Mm -hmm. Because that critic voice that says, ah, you're just kidding yourself. You're, you're, you're not a, you're, you're not a witch. This is you're all a, fake. You're this an is... idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That voice that is going to inherently get weaker and weaker when you can look back on six months of, no, I do this every day. And I pay attention to the turning of the seasons and the phases of the moon. And I'm aware of my inner state. And I, I navigate that inner state. And I use psychological tools in order to ground and calm and get myself through difficult situations. I, I am a practitioner. Mm -hmm. I, I am a pagan. I am an atheopagan or a naturalistic pagan. And so that voice that says that you're faking it gets weaker over time. And that's the way that you wear it down until right. after a while, it just shuts up. I yeah. don't get that anymore. I go, I go to my focus and I, you know, start to do ritual stuff and I don't get that your, that voice at all anymore, mm -hmm. but it took a long time to get there. Right. And we did do, it's been a couple of years now, but we did do a, a whole episode on dealing with the critic voice. Yes. Um, so certainly it's still a presence in my life, not for ritual, something uh -huh. that I'm very confident in with ritual, but other places it's still 
it's there, right? It's sure. something that that we all deal with. Sure. So yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, to be honest, that's part of the journey. It is that is just part of the journey of life. And when I look at where I was twenty years ago, that voice was stronger than it is now, and that means I'm steadily chewing away at it, getting you know, getting better. And it, I think in many senses, just getting better is kind of the point of living, isn't it? Ex having wonderful experiences and getting to be a better and better person. Yeah. Well, what about ritual for the solitary? Yeah, this is something I haven't really written about on the blog, but I think about writing about it on the blog now and then, because, you know, in the in the Atheopaganism book and on the blog, I presented a, a five-part, well, six-part, really, structure for a ritual, right? Starting with preparation, which is the sixth. So preparation, arrival, qualities, working, gratitude, benediction. Mm-hmm. Those are those those six pieces. But when you're working, and those work very well for structuring group rituals, it's not, as I always say, it is not the only structure that works. It's just a structure that works. So if you're getting started, it's something that's reliable. Right. But you can always improvise and riff in different directions, depending on what you feel. Mm -hmm. When you're working with yourself, and you don't need to kind of coordinate a bunch of people's experience together, you can be a lot more fluid. Right. You can pivot and go in a different direction than you were going to do. And, you know, you can suddenly stop talking or stop singing and just sit if that's what mm -hmm. you need or get up and dance or do something different than what was planned. But when you're reading, when you're leading a ritual for 10 other people, that doesn't always work, right? Because you're considering their experience as well as your own experience. Right. You have to consider where you can take them with you when you're leading a group ritual. Mm -hmm. But when you're by yourself, whatever your impulse is, is where you can go, right? So if it's picking up a deck of tarot cards and doing a quick three-card reading, or if it's, as you say, you know, breaking into dance or breaking into song or grabbing a pen and a pad of paper and scribbling down a poem or ideas or uh, or even what the, the critic voice is saying to you at this moment so that you can get it out and get it onto paper and then crumple it up and throw it in the trash. That is, over time, as you become a more practiced practitioner, you'll learn to follow your instincts on this and have really rich, rewarding, personally tailored rituals that follow exactly what you need to do. Right. And they may last three minutes. They may last two hours. Mm -hmm. Just depends on what you need and what you want to do. Sometimes I just like to kind of marinate in the magical world, in the, the witchy feeling. You know, I just, I like to be in that. I like to contemplate the, 
the things on my focus that remind me of that, light candles in my room and look around at my witchy space and go, yeah, this is really a cool place to be. I like this. Other times I just want to calm any anxiety I have about going forward in the day and do that real quick and then move on with my day. Right. And I want to assure people who are just getting into ritual that that even if it doesn't come naturally or quickly at first, it is it is a skill that can be built. Mm-hmm. And so it when you're first starting out, you might not feel comfortable yet just changing the plan and going with the feel and just adapting. And that's okay, right? right. You just it's okay if what you need to do in the beginning is work with a particular structure. Everybody, there isn't an end goal that everybody's going towards, that we're all moving towards. It's going to be a very different journey to different places for different people. So you can, if you hear somebody describing something, like you hear Mark or me talking about our experiences with ritual and you're not feeling that same thing, that's not a failing on your part. Right. Like you just have a different experience and over time you're going to build different experiences and, and that's, yeah. Right. Right. And, and bear in mind an awful lot of the tools and practices of pagan ritual or religious ritual generally, honestly, are about helping you to go into that ritual state of inner calm and focus and presence. And so use them, right? Light incense, read a poem that takes you into a particular vibe that's where you want to go. You know, be in candlelight because it's a lot more conducive than electrical light. As you become more practiced, you may find that simply stepping in front of your focus and contemplating the things there allows you to kind of downshift into the ritual state because you're so accustomed to going there and you're so accustomed to having that experience in that spot. Right. Right. But that's something you learn to do. The incense helps. Mm -hmm. That's why they use it in, you know, Catholic churches, in Orthodox churches. All across Um, the world. Yeah. yeah, All over the world. There's, There's reasons why things like dragon's blood and sandalwood were among the most valuable commodities that were transported all over the world during the Middle Ages. Well, all over the Eastern Hemisphere Mm -hmm. during the Middle Ages, because they had that psychological impact on people. So, you know, avail yourself of those kinds of tools. Music, put on music that helps you feel a particular way that, that, you know, kind of connects you into your body and gives you a feeling of your animal nature and the power of that. There are there are so many sensory things you can do. Um, one of the things that I do sometimes that helps me is I'll have a glass of wine, just mm-hmm. one, but it's enough to sort of lessen my inhibitions, quiet that critic voice, and make it possible for me then to go into my thing Mm -hmm. whatever that thing might happen to be it's just about 
And, and the reason that I choose wine rather than some other kind of alcohol is that first of all, when you drink a glass of wine, you know exactly what you're getting. I mean, it, they vary from like 11% to 14% alcohol, which is not that big a variation. You, you, it's a pretty carefully titrated dose, right? Mm -hmm. But the other reason is that red wine is so explosively delicious <laughs> in, in all those different flavorful ways. There's just a way that sipping a good red wine makes me go, oh, life is good. Find the thing that works for you. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I'm not a wine person. Uh, that's, that's why I, I chuckle at that because I appreciate your appreciation of it, but I have a very, <laughs> very different experience okay. when I drink it. <laughs> I think I would have to move away from where I live <laughs> if I didn't like wine because it's all that we grow around here. I mean, we grow some apples, most of which end up in cider actually, but generally it's, it's wine country. Mm -hmm. I so like the idea saying, of it. I love uh -huh. the idea of it, but I just, I just don't like it. Have you had good wine? I've had wine that people have claimed as good when they've given it to me. Ah, well, then. <laughs> but I don't, I don't well, like know. Okay. No, I just don't particularly, you know. Yeah. Not. Well, the definition of good wine is wine that you like. So you've, you know, I suppose however, I haven't. Yeah. however cheap it is, however, you know, disrespectable it is. If you like it, it's good. I, I do not truck with the snobbiness around wine. That's a whole world. That's it, it, yeah. It is, and it's it's everywhere where I live, and yeah. and it's pretty annoying to be honest. <laughs> the uh, self importance that people can get around rotten grape juice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's certainly, you know, I think it it goes without saying, but we're certainly not saying that you need to have any sort of substance to help you no. with a ritual or something like that. But mm -hmm. but that this this is one particular tool. Right. This is, and, right. you know, right. find that again, find the tool that's going to be the thing that, or the things that help you. Right. Right. You can have a similar taste experience, maybe with a, a perfect peach or a couple of dark chocolate chips, mm -hmm. you know, the same kind nice of that, cup of thick broth or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something that gives you that that deep sense, you know, that your body is being nourished and your, your senses are being pleased just by the simple fact of existence and doing this thing. There's, there's just so much to be said for that. And there's a reason why pagans are thought of as being hedonistic, because we embrace pleasure, we embrace joy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, joy can be a portal into a ritual state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what else? Anything else that you want to touch on well, for solitary I, I practice? I'd like to say a little bit more about, I mean, we, we talked about kind of unstructured ritual time. I really want to encourage people that are primarily solitary practitioners or who are just building a daily practice or a, a regular practice. Create that environment Mm -hmm. that you see in your mind as being the magical place. You know, do that. If if you don't have a, a space, a personal space right now that enables you to do that, see what you can do about fixing it up to make it more that way. Right. And I know, you know, some folks are in the broom closet and they don't want to reveal 
that they have a practice to other people around them, and that's fine, and I totally respect that. Maybe you have some things that you can take out and set around the room when you do your ritual mm -hmm. that will help communicate that vibe. Right. Or a book, right? If a journaling book or, or even something like a picture book that has just that feeling to it. Right. right, that the artwork has that particular feel that you're going for, looking for. You know, there's a lot, a lot to do. Right. You mentioned a journal, and that's a really useful thing for a lot of solitary practitioners, is capturing what they did ritually. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's tarot readings or whether it's just lighting some candles or anything that feels like it was special or different, you know, keep it keep a, a, a nice leather bound, cool looking magical book and write the dates in and, and capture that stuff. Because if you do that for a long time, you'll find that when you, when you skip back and look at your earlier entries, you've evolved. Yes. Yeah. You, you will have changed things that used to feel kind of hokey to you or like they weren't really working are now really effective and they 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 feel effortless mm -hmm. so or you found this new thing through that process that you know you found the thing that really helps you just enter that state you know right away or something yeah 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 and of course as we always say pay attention and keep going that's that's the way to a, a richly lived life and it's it is the pagan life, I believe. <laughs> Pay attention. Know what's going on in the world around you. Know what's going on in the world inside of you. And keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm really glad we did this episode, Yucca, because we did another one a few years ago about solitary practice, but I feel like there really was a lot more to say yeah. Um, and I know that so many, especially new practitioners who join our community through the pot, through hearing the podcast or hearing about it from someone else and joining the Facebook or discord communities mm -hmm. or seeing a YouTube video. In many cases, it's kind of mystifying. They, they almost feel like they need permission, mm -hmm. you know, to do ritual stuff. You don't need permission to do ritual stuff. You can do it all on your own. But if you need it, you have mine. Yeah. <laughs> you have my permission to yes. gather what cool stuff is to you, whatever that means. I know what cool stuff is to me around yourself and start doing ritual behavior. It'll feel good and it's a starting place. Right. And it really, it opens up so many doors right mm -hmm. so many possibilities and mm -hmm. and as such a tool when we really need it in life and having practiced it when you practice then when you really when the time comes that you actually need the skill you've got it right 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 and i think i mean that that is true in the ultimate sense like when we're dying Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that having learned to navigate my inner world and, you know, calm or disregard or overcome or whatever, the, you know, the demon voices that we all have within us, mm -hmm. 
I have a feeling that when I'm dying, it's going to be kind of an easier road. I, I, I don't have to be terrified. I don't have to be filled with remorse. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of experiences that people have in their last moments that I think could be pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that becoming familiar with working with your own psychology is a means to easing that process. Yeah. I can't prove it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's, 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 it's a it's a feeling you got. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a supposition. Well, I hope you're right on that. I hope I yeah, am too, but I, I hope so. I don't find out for a long time. Yeah. And in the meantime, it's what we got every day, right? Every day, every beautiful day. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. Thank you, Yucca. It's always so great to talk with you. Likewise. We'll see you all next week.